technology is advancing at pace across the energy sector. As we progress towards net zero, we want you to stay ahead of the conversation. Welcome to the Net Zero Technology Centre's podcast series, Transition Talks, where we'll be joined by industry experts at the forefront of the energy transition as we examine the challenge and explore the solutions. Hi, Graham. Delighted that you've uh, been able to join us on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for the invite. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's good that you're here. Graham Rogerson, a good colleague, um, you know, tremendously interesting work that you're doing. I think before we start off giving you the third degree, uh, I'd like to hear or like let you give you the opportunity to tell everybody who you are and what you do. So if you could give us a short summary, that'd be super. Yeah, I'm Graham Rogerson. So I, uh, I've been at the Technology Centre since it opened its doors just over five years ago. And uh, yeah, it's been a delight working here that, over that time for and uh, really interesting. So I, I currently work in the uh, energy system integration team, focus on that, that integration piece and integration of uh, offshore renewable power into uh, into helping decarbonising oil and gas uh, operations in the North Sea. Super. And what I was particularly keen to badger you about mm. today is this counterintuitive question of using renewable energy power generation yeah. to decarbonize offshore oil and gas facilities. It doesn't seem kind of like a normal thing to do. And that's why I want to unpack with you here today. What is that? Brilliant. No problem. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it, it, it makes me smile. I think we recognize, um, you know, to achieve our net zero ambitions, we have to decarbonize uh, all our high carbon intensity industries in the UK and oil and gas is one of them. And we've done a, a lot of work on this over the last two to three years, and it's just become recognised, you know, on, on, the, on the, the scale of power that we need. The best route forward is to tie in and combine uh, offshore wind, be floating offshore wind, with our with our oil and gas assets. It, it you know, it's just become recognised that that that's that's the most um, the most economic route, but it's also a route that will help us start um, transitioning in, into a sort of fully integrated offshore energy picture down the line. It's kind of counterintuitive to use renewable power generation to decarbonise oil and gas. Oh, totally. So I'd quite like to address that. Yeah, I think I think we should do because um, and so this is just like you know caught up with old uni pals uh-huh. on on like a Teams call a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And you know Graham our Dodgeman, you know what are you doing? I'm like I was going down to the Scottish Renewable event to speak. You know, ah, oh, great. And then it was like, yeah, you were talking about you know tying in offshore wind turbines to oil and gas and you know they were just like that is ridiculous that's nuts that's nuts as in they, they could not believe that uh, this is what we're planning on doing kind of thing from a i think from that perspective of why wow, you're you're using clean energy to continue to produce uh-huh. the dirty fossil fuel yeah but i guess it does make a sort of counter sort of uh, intuition sense in a sense yeah. in a way because we still need the, 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 the black stuff. We still need the gas. Yes, yeah. we still need the gas and the black stuff for a while. Yeah, yeah through our while. transition. So, but we don't want to be kind of like pumping emissions out while we're, while producing the stuff. I guess that's uh, so we need to find a way of powering yeah. the, the offshore platform. Yeah, maybe the best way to, uh, the best way I would say about that, Stephen, is um, we've got our net zero ambition. If we're going to achieve that, it's just recognise we have to decarbonise our high carbon intensity industries. Now, there's quite a few of those industries. Now, oil and gas is one of them, so yeah. we need to find ways of decarbonising it. 
And uh, it looks like the best way, you know, that we're going to achieve that for oil and gas is with tying in renewable energy offshore. So basically, power is the main issue offshore, is it? It is, yeah. You know, they talk about uh, the amount of um, emissions, you know, the the industry produces. 70% of it is from the power. You know, the rest from the venting and the flaring. So it's a big, a big portion. Like, we're not going to achieve you know, significant reductions without doing something with the power. We need a low-carbon power solution. And just for those of us who've not been offshore, and I will put my hand up, I've never mm-hmm. been offshore. Yeah. Um, I guess that we're talking about what turbines and generators and things like that. Is that what? what we're yeah, about? yeah. So, so we're we're generating power offshore, primarily, you know, hundred percent of the time through open cycle gas turbines. These aren't the most efficient. We also run like, you know, two, two, or two or three turbines. We're not running them to maximize the efficiency. We're running them for um, power availability, maximizing uptime and reliability. Mm-hmm. So it's quite an efficient way of generating power. If you look at the UK grid just now and consider the amount of emissions in producing the power to the grid, I'm going to say it's running at 200 kilograms of CO2 per megawatt hour. That's the sort of, let's see, the average for the UK grid. Offshore, we're generating megawatt hours from gas turbines. It's probably about four to six times higher than the grid. Mm. So that gives you a, a kind of, you know, where it's at. Mm. And when we talk about renewable power and generation, what, what exactly are we meaning by that? Because there's a whole slew of different methodologies you could you could think of there. Yeah, it is. I think we're... So the industry has been doing a lot of work on this. By the way, let's all just, you know, rain check that. Over the last two to three years, we've done a power of work. Um, Technology Centre's done a lot of work. The OGA. Um, or now the North Sea now, Transition Authority. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of the operators and, and the wind farm developers. But where we've moved to, or where we've definitely got to, understanding more of how complex it is, how challenging the economics are around it, it's now recognised that offshore wind will play a role, mm. has to play a role. And it's offshore wind because we're we're talking about megawatts required, not not kind of kilowatts. So it's not really suited towards um, you know, wave power generation and the like just now. It's it's wind power that that, mm. that we're gonna need and it's and it's recognised now that you know that wind power it'll either It'll either be about generating the power from the get-go or it'll be about tying in the power down the line, sort of sharing the infrastructure, if you like, between oil and gas and um, and, and, and offshore wind. And and perhaps that's also like something to note. You know, we're we're talking here about decarbonizing oil and gas operations, but actually maybe the, you know, the bigger picture is about is about that integrated vision down the line. And by tying in wind and oil and gas now, it just helps us date that first kind of few steps to that integrated vision, if you like. Yeah. I'm going to ask a bit bit of a random question, but uh, I do remember some time ago, I was working for a wee company that was uh, doing work on the troll platform in Norway. And there's quite a lot of chat about making things robust for the 100-year wave. So... I'm just thinking if you've got floating offshore wind, how do you how do you kind of cope with that kind of scenario where you you know obviously platforms are kind of designed to cope with that. 
So you'd have to do something similar with floating wind, wouldn't you? Yeah, very much so. Um, and it's going to be, and, and it's challenging, you know. We're there with founded wind, and um, and we have enough demonstrators in the water now that you know we're proving it for for floating offshore wind, and it's floating offshore wind. I think we're really talking about yeah. here due to the water depth around you know where we where we have the oil and gas assets. Yet they'll they'll be you know need to be designed to the same stringent you know conditions. Um, I think uh, perhaps what's different here to oil and gas world with offshore wind is just the volume and the volume of structures that will that'll go out there, you know, to, to realise this ambition. And, um, you know, we recognise that, uh, you know, at the moment, the economics don't stack up. We need to reduce the cost of floating offshore wind. So is that where the innovation opportunities might help? Yeah, definitely on the technology. You know, we need technologies that, that will drive that down. So let's just look at, you know, over 50% of the cost of floating offshore wind will be in the, the substructures and moorings and the like. And while we've maybe gone down more of a bespoke design route for oil and gas, we have to go down a different route just because of the scale of it for, for offshore wind. So I really think we need to focus on technologies that um, offer a robust solution, but drive down the amount of material we use, simplify the full installation, operation, maintenance of things, um, and just make these structures sort of as 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 dumb as possible. So simple, you know, to fabricate and to install on a on a regular basis because we're going to need that. You know, it's going to be installation recovery you know a few a week yeah it's going to be the you know the scale that's required. that's innovation and manufacturing but what other types of innovation would be required do you think um i think around um around the maintenance and whether we'll end up um doing any of this sort of uh maintenance piece in situ or having to, to bring these units back to shore so a lot are a lot around um how we monitor and maintain the assets when they're out there so I think there'll be a, a lot of um, a lot of new digital and data tech being put on these assets to make sure we're programming and optimizing like the the maintenance uh, schedules. Yeah, but the costs are quite significant at the moment. So I guess that's where I mean Scotland was quite an interesting and, and welcome development. All For sure, all these licenses yeah. 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 being granted. So there's people are gearing up now to think about Scotland, but. How long is it going to take before we see floating offshore wind projects actually begin to be yeah. physically materialising? So, um, so there's a lot of challenges for sure. You know, the scale of it is is enormous, and I and I sometimes think you know the general public a lot of us just just don't appreciate that yet. You know, it's just coming at us through the challenges, the consenting, the grid piece, the scale. We're not going to see things in the water, I, I believe, till 2030 plus. Wow. For floating. Perhaps some of the um, Scotland fixed founded yeah. uh, farms would come sooner than that. But I think uh, I think the floating will be 2030 plus. So that kind of poses a big challenge then, because if you've got people who want to transition from being part of the oil and gas supply chain to be part of the floating offshore wind yeah. supply chain, you need projects to basically... Get you yeah. geared up and get you engaged and selling stuff and developing yeah, technology. Yeah, for sure. You know, we're not um, like these projects are of such a scale that you're not going to go from where we are now to going and undertaking these projects. The risk profile is just just too big. Yeah. We need to we need to ramp up. There needs to be an opportunity to uh, yeah to ramp up. 
for for Scotland. So, and I guess, and I was reading about this the other day, but I don't understand it, so I'm going to ask you to explain it to me. I guess this is probably where this Intog thing comes in. Yeah, it's definitely an opportunity Intog. So, what does what does that mean? What yeah. is Intog? What is Intog? That's a that's a yeah a good shout an acronym. So, so the In and Intog is standing for innovation, and uh, the Tog is targeted oil and gas. So it's a Green Scotland framework, trying to state the uh, Scotland process, promptness, um, BC bed, and install either innovative uh, floating offshore wind or, or uh, offshore wind projects, or offshore wind projects that are targeted, i.e. they're providing power to oil and gas mm-hmm. platforms. Now, um, these these projects will be of a smaller scale than Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a drive to get them in the water before Scotland, mm-hmm. possible. There could be opportunities to install these projects that are actually off-grid, so they don't need the grid connection. So that we do have an opportunity just now to uh, use this leasing process to develop projects and, and projects that would am- act as that kind of ramp up for Scotland. Like a demonstrator would be quite useful, maybe? I think on the for innovative, or the in side of it, mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely. They would be more looked at pilot projects, tied to shore. There might be a, a hydrogen angle to them. That will, it's almost intog. I can see it. The, 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 the process is actually, they've just received feedback this week. They asked for feedback, Crown Estates so has gone back in. And who's given the feedback, though? Industry, sorry, okay. yeah. So industry have fed back. And I think where it might go is they're almost trying to manage two types of project mm-hmm. under this framework, an in innovative project and a target oil and gas. And, and I think they move at slightly different pace. Mm. So we might see it just more being handled slightly different to both of them, if you like. Yeah. And you said that, I mean, you, at the top end of the conversation, you gave a shout out to industry having done quite a lot of work on the mm. space anyway. So are there specific examples that we can look to for, I guess, guidance as to how it could be done? You know, like companies like Equinor or Shell or Total Energies, are they doing stuff at the moment? Yeah, so, we, well, Equinor are, are definitely taking, you know, a, a great step in Norwegian waters, the Iowan Tampen project, and it's our off-grid solution. It's tying in um, a number of uh, floating units into their asset. It's, uh, it's very much a pilot project, and it's receiving significant support um, you know, from the Norwegian government to make yeah, it, you know, was, make it fly. I was going to ask about funding because, and we'll probably see something likewise here. You know, and, and I think what we can do is build on that the learning and, and what they're doing. They're they're sort of tying in uh, direct and and providing. I'm going to say like a partial electrification solution there, mm-hmm. and um, and and it, there'll be some great learnings to to get from it. How they manage the power, how they uh, balance the supply and demand. Yeah. Will be really interesting because the wind doesn't always blow right yeah so what do you do do you just kick back into using your combined cycle gas turbine yeah. when the wind doesn't blow no no it's, and it's a great question now, what do you do I think um, the way we've looked at this and, and, and what's landing quite well is just a recognition that to to provide a low carbon power solutions across the basin there's not going to be one solution fits all we're going to have a, a range of different scale of projects uh, so let's just go from like i don't know large to small i just maybe yeah, yeah, easy yeah. right so i think you'll have um you will have large offshore wind projects tied into oil and gas this is over like a 
uh, a number of assets, number of parties. The wind farm will be gigawatt scale. It'll be providing enough power where you would to assets that have a long um, duration still of production to go, and you're going to look to fully electrify these assets. And uh, I think this uh, these wind farms will be like of a Scott wind scale, but I actually think it'll be a, a Scott wind project. Yeah. So that large scale one will be a 2030 plus, and it'll be a fully integrated piece. We might look at an Intog project before that where we have uh, maybe less parties. It's a smaller area, smaller number of assets, maybe just maybe two or three parties looking at it. Maybe we're talking about a, a, a wind farm that is uh, two, three, four hundred megawatts in scale. Mm-hmm. It would need a grid connection and it would probably still focus on, on, a, on a full electrification piece. So when the wind's not blowing, the, the grid is supplying the electricity. So the connection into the grid is a, is a demand and a generation um, connection. Now, that will be the real challenge, whether we can get that type of project in the water before Scotland and help for the ramp up. And I think we've got another one where we've got off-grid solutions like Ivan Tampin, where there is no grid to provide the power when the wind's not blowing. What what do we do? So we believe there, um, what we're looking at is we have assets out there with these turbines that are running. Yes, they're inefficient, but they can still be running. And it's what's happening with Ivan Tampin. So when the wind doesn't blow, we're back to running these on, on gas. Just like a hybrid car? Like a hybrid car. But what we can do and, and what we're, we're getting a bit of traction with is actually finding a, a cleaner, different fuel to run these turbines yeah, on when, was, when the wind's not blowing. I was thinking because maybe ammonia or hydrogen or something could be used. Yeah, definitely. So that you know, there's a lot of work going into that for, um, for the marine sector. And what we're looking to do is piggybacking off the back of that work to see if there was... Uh, uh, I guess synergies on the scale and see what fuel um, would work for offshore oil and gas. Okay. Super, super interesting. Mm-hmm. There's obviously a lot of challenges and opportunities there. Yeah. And it's, you know, nobody's written a book on this. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot to learn and, and it would just be great to actually see if we can get some, some projects going now what we can learn from, you know, uh, you know, get that collaboration going across industry so that, yeah, so we learn as we, as we get doing. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Graham. That's been really, really um, timely because I I couldn't get my head around how it all worked, but I, I feel a lot more comfortable and confident <laughs> with it now. Um, and um, hopefully we'll be able to to um, get others to come to the table as well, come mm-hmm. visit us at NZTC, speak to them. I know you're running a couple of workshops sure. and stuff, aren't you? Yeah, well, we've got a, we have an initiative uh, um, uh, on the go that we're, that we're titling WindTog. So this is just um, uh, just to just to make sure and make it clear that um, we're focusing there on on wind okay. to targeted oil and gas. Yeah. Well, what we're seeing is, um, and this is at the uh, Scottish Renewable event uh, down in Glasgow a couple of weeks ago. The um, um, you know the discussion, the chat over the two three days, all about collaboration. Uh-huh. And um, we feel here that um, to succeed in collaboration, you know, it's sometimes good to have somebody. To facilitate that collaboration. Yeah. So this is a net zero technology centre putting its up our hand in partnership with uh, ORE Catapult to to say we'll we'll facilitate this collaboration to help deliver in dog projects. So mm-hmm. we kicked it off with a with a workshop in in February and we're just going through one to one engagements just now to get interested parties around the table to to see what we can do to help both on the technology side. 
but also on some of the key challenges. And the key challenges that we're, you know, getting feedback on are around how to organize ourselves around this grid connection piece, how we can come up with actual credible solutions that if there's more people at the table, does that help with the economics and, um, you know, the, the technical complexity of what we're trying to do? So fingers crossed in, um, in Q2 of this year, we'll get fully up and running with that, that Windtalk program. Brilliant. Thank you, Graham. It's been a pleasure and look forward to hearing all about it, all about Windtalk in the future. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for listening to Transition Talks. You can listen to all podcasts at netzerotc.com forward slash podcasts, or you can subscribe to get instant access to all the new episodes before they drop. See you next time.